really appreciate those songs. Uh, all of them really highlight, in my opinion, the supremacy of Jesus in one way or the other. And the last one, I really enjoy it because it just has this, you know, different two different purposes within it, but they're all the same purpose. That is, there's part of it where we're just praising God. We're singing out things to give him honor and give him glory that he's deserving, that we believe he has and is worthy of. And then it turns into an act of prayer. You know, I will build my life. We sing that part. Um, it's a prayer is just saying, this is who I want to be. This is who I desire to be. Lord, help me to become this person. This may not have been who I was last week. It may not have been who I was on my way to church this morning, but this is who I want to be. Lord, help me become this person in response to who you are. Really powerful song. I think that it all goes along with really well too, very neatly. The scripture that we're looking at this morning, which I'm excited about, um, we've been doing a series to the book of Hebrews. It gets its name in a really profound way, right? It's written to the Hebrew people, so therefore it gets its name. And uh, this is how most you know, biblical books get their names, just the, the, the recipients of them are how the, the letter is, told, is, is typically named. And, and a quick recap is that we've seen these individuals that are receiving this letter, they're under a stressed time. They're under societal pressures. They're in a very pluralistic society religiously. That is, there's a, many different religions surrounding them within their, within their community, far different than ours today. Trust me, way different than ours today. Um, and, and so there's a pressure of persecution as well. And as a result of this, some of them are pulling away from the faith entirely. Some of them, in my opinion, are, are doing what's even worse, and that is trying to conform to what the world will want, but at the same time hold on to their faith. When we do that, we typically create a gospel that's a different gospel. It's not a good thing. And, and so this is uh, where they're struggling. And, and it's, I think it's a timely uh, place for this letter for us to work through it. Because we're going through a lot of different changes we're seeing and experiencing, uh, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whatever they are. 2020 has been a very weird year for all of us. We're trying to adapt to it, trying to figure it out as we go into the fall season as well. And keeping my prayers and, and hearts for those of you who are in administration in schools, teachers in schools, parents and kids. A lot of differences, a lot of changes, a lot of odd things. So it's, it's a good time, I think, to explore this. The way we've explored the letter hasn't been from start to finish, let's just go through this linearly. I don't think that would have been really beneficial. We've explored it thematically, which I think is the best way to do it. Because we've seen over and over again, the thematic position of this letter is simply this. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior. What, what the author is trying to tell those who are receiving it then and those of us who receive it now is, regardless of the circumstances in your life, there's never a time in which you should abandon what should be supreme. That you should alter or change what is perfectly pure in its supreme state, that is Jesus. Don't try to make him into your own personalized Jesus. And, and this is what the author is presenting. He's basically saying, hey, who else is there? What else are you going to go to? Who else provides real hope? Who else gives you courage and strength to endure the circumstances you're in? There really is no other than the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ himself. And we, and we see that in this passage we're going to read. But let me remind you, three questions I want to invite you to explore each time you hear a message from this, from this book that we've been exploring. is simply this, uh, what is supreme in my life? Right now, I want to ask you to go back to that first message. If you didn't hear it, go back on our app. Go back on our website. Take 30 minutes this week. Listen to that first message. I think it's a really foundational one where it, it, it identifies the reality. 
all of us have important things in our life. Family's important, work's important, financial things are important. All these things are important, no doubt about it. But they're not superior, right? Jesus is superior. He takes the place above all these other things. And so we don't want to make important things superior things. And that was an important place, an important message that we looked at. So we asked that question, what's superior in my life? What have I made, second question, superior over and above Jesus? What is it that I'm doing? How is it I'm doing it? To make something more superior than Jesus. And third question is, what next step do I need to take to fix that? What next step do I need to take to keep Jesus as the supreme person in my life because I've been doing some things that I know he's really proud of and excited about? Or what next step do I need to take uh, to, to put Jesus back in the place where he deserves so that in what I say and what I do, how I live, it truly reflects him. And in that regard, I'm sharing him with the world around me. So think about a letter with significant importance. When you sit down and write it, you probably take that first paragraph and maybe you rewrite it four, five, six more times because you're thinking, I want them to read this first paragraph and be drawn in and read the rest of the letter. I want them to hear everything that I have to say. So with that in mind, we're reading the very first thoughts that come out of the heart of the one who gives us a letter to the church today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I want to invite you to turn there in your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible and want to use one, grab one off the rack in front of you. Uh, More than welcome to use those. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, uh, please feel free to take that home with you and keep it. And if you like using a digital Bible on your phone, maybe use the Bible app. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you click on their menu section in the Bible app, And then you click on events. When you find events, you click on that. It'll show you a map of the churches around you. And one of those churches is going to be Canoe Creek. And if you click on that, you'll see the sermon notes in there. A lot of people really love to be able to connect with sermon notes and audibly hear what's happening. And we leave those live for four days. So you got three or four days after Sunday, you can go back in and and refer to some things if you'd like. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four, no matter how you're following, let's engage in this word and listen to what uh, God has to say to us. It says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power, powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So here's a simple idea that I want to present that is going to be a guide to to lead us through this passage and help us stay anchored in a thought uh, this morning. And it's simply this. Belief is important. Surrender is superior. Listen, there's a 2018 Gallup poll that said 87% of America believes in God. If there's a real, true, heart-changing belief within our, our, our nation at a percentage of 87%, our nation would look radically different than it does. Um, so I think that there's more of a casual belief you know, we ask people, do you believe in God? Yeah, 
right? If you start to stratify the questions, you stratify the data and how it's actually presented. But just on a simple basis, I think there's a really casual presentation of, yeah, I believe. It's radically different when you start talking about surrendering things, surrendering rights, surrendering personal decisions, uh, surrendering things that God wants for me that I don't want for myself. It becomes very different. So I just want to continue to use this uh, thematic wording that we have in, in this letter. That is the idea of Jesus being superior. Apply it to a simple statement to give us guidance through this message. Uh, belief is important. Don't get me wrong. It's all throughout the scriptures. But surrender is, is superior. It's where it's really difficult. It's, re- it's really hard to follow. So I want to do two things, three things technically. I, I want to say, how does God speak to us in two different ways? What does it mean? All right, how does God speak to us in two different ways? What does it mean? First thing, he speaks to us through his son. Right here, very clearly through the scriptures, he speaks to us through his son. And his son is described as heir of all things, maker of the universe, radiance of God's glory, exact representation, which is important, of the father, sustains all things by the power of his word, and he's a provider of purification for our sins. This is a glowing resume of who Jesus Christ is and the reason why he's called superior over all other things. I mean, you can't set up this letter in a more perfect, profound way than to say, let's look at Jesus from every angle we can in every amazing way that we can. And this idea of him being the exact representation of the Father, this is the idea of character. And it's not the idea of cloning something as if Jesus is a clone of God. It's the same substance. It's the same thing. It's not as if I demonstrated this kind of characteristics, a characteristic of compassion, and then you went out and you modeled that characteristic of compassion. No, it's the same compassion. It's the same characteristics. It's the identical representation of who God is. Think about what God gave before Jesus as his presence in the world. One example is for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, he gave the cloud by day to cover and protect them and the fire by night to give them warmth and to guide them. Uh, Interesting, cool, it demonstrates his presence, but it's not really easy to have a relationship with a cloud or a ball of fire. I mean, it would be a very difficult idea for us mentally, right? Um, but, but here we have the human form of God, not just simply a model, not just simply a clone, not just simply a piece, but the thing, the exact representation, uh, present, living in human form, and yet at the same time, while he's in human form, he is all those things we just saw, the creator of the universe, the provider and sustainer of uh, purification from sin, uh, you know, all these amazing and glowing things. Um, Think about, I don't know, I think all of us who are desiring to grow spiritually, we have somebody that we admire. Somebody who we believe is just more spiritually deep than ourselves, and we look to them, and we see things in them that kind of convicts us of ourselves. Sometimes the way that they are able to show compassion or practice forgiveness or whatever it may be, it causes me or it causes you when you look on that mentor of yours to feel a little bit of shame where you're at in your own spiritual walk or to be convicted uh, that you're a little short-sighted in, in who you are. But they inspire you. They move you. Why? Because you can see them and you can relate to them. You know that 
you know, they're, they're no different than you in regards to who you are and your human nature. And you're like, if they can do that, I can do this. And, and it propels us and it moves us. And so by sending his son as the exact representation, he gives us this model. He gives us this image. He gives us this person to be admired. This one to trust, this one to follow after, and it's the exact representation in every detail, which means even though we can and we are at times subjective with that exact representation, it's to our own demise. I think about this. I, I, let me just give you this example. I think this will make the point. It's really easy in this terms. I am exceptionally good in a bad way at concluding my thoughts on this or that, this person or that situation, that it should be such. Bringing it over here to God's word, which speaks to me through his son, and then subjecting that situation, what I've already preconceived and and decided, to the word. And finding within that word what I need to convince myself that I'm right. When we approach God's word with that kind of subjectivity, we're not allowing Jesus to speak to us. We're not allowing God's word to speak to us through the Son. We're determining what God's word says versus allowing the Son to be the exact representation to determine how we should look at that person, how we should look at that situation, how we should think about this, or how we should think about that. Now, I'm just saying that subjectivity is our way of bending the truth to what we want, to our will, and to our desire. Let me just make this statement that I think fits along with what we're talking about today. It's simply this. Belief is our choice. Surrendering is accepting what God chooses for you. When somebody chooses to follow God, it's their decision, it's their choice, and it can be made for all host of reasons, many of them right, some of them wrong. Um, That, you know, maybe it's just that we're just trying to put our house into order. We think that Jesus is our fix for this or our fix for that. He's the great fixer in life or whatever it may be, I don't know. But belief is our choice. Sometimes we're trying to control our world when we choose to believe. But surrender is choosing to accept what God has made uh, his choice for us, his decision for us. Radically different, very hard. God wants us to be fiercely objective with ourselves, and this is why community is so essential. Nowhere in the scriptures do we ever find this Western uh, invented idea of Christianity that it's very individualistic. We do not find that anywhere. Every time I read throughout the scriptures, any letter, every letter in the New Testament written, it is always in this concept and idea of being in community. You know why? Because it's really easy to be subjective when it comes to just you and yourself alone. But it's a whole lot easier to be more objective about the truth when I have a brother or sister in Christ that is holding me accountable to what the model of God is through Jesus Christ as he's spoken to us. And God is inviting us through his word, through his son, to be fiercely objective with who we are because it contradicts, our will contradicts with the word of God. And when that happens... There's tension, there's struggle, and we either choose at this moment, I'm going to bend the word of God to meet my will, or I'm going to change my will to meet the word of God. 
So let me ask you a question. Is the God who is perfect in every way, words spoken through his son as we've seen demonstrated and written in this opening passage, is that the God you believe in? Is that the God you surrender to? The culture of the Hebrew people, as I mentioned, was religiously pluralistic. You may think we've got a lot of different religious things going on around in our culture, within our nation. I guarantee you it's nothing compared to what was going on just within a stone's throw of where these people live. They'd go down this street and this temple for this God. They'd go down that place for that God over here to get this worldly wisdom, whatever it is. And in the midst of that, this is what I love. This author says, Jesus is superior. There is no other lowercase God you know, lowercase g God, that can do anything in your life that's meaningful in any way. Jesus is superior. God's word is spoken through him. It's a really profound statement in the midst of the culture in which they're experiencing. And so only Jesus is the exact representation of God that speaks for God. And I want you to think about this. Uh, Somebody said this many, many years ago in a Bible study. And they basically said if the distance between the earth and the sun, is, which is 93 million miles, was the thickness of this piece of paper. If, if the distance between the earth and the sun was represented, the 93 million miles, with this piece of paper, then the distance between the earth and the next closest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. 30 feet higher than the roof of this building. All right, and the distance from one side of our galaxy to the other side of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high, which is just a little bit short of the width of our state. Our galaxy is just one little speck of dust in the universe as it is. If there's a person who holds all that together by the word of his power, his pinky as it were, is that the kind of person that you ask into your life as your personal assistant? as your fixer, as somebody you casually believe in? Or is that just somebody that you see and you recognize as who they are and you just fall and bow down to? That's why I loved in that last song as we're singing, help me see you essentially in the way that you're supposed to be seen because when we see God in the way that he's supposed to be seen, as this author tries to highlight for us God's word spoken through Jesus, There's nothing left to do but bow down and surrender. So God's word spoken through his son is spoken with finality. It's spoken with finality. We see a contrast here. He says, God spoke to his people in various parts and various ways back in the day. What he's basically saying is he gave bits and pieces. And then the contrast is, but now it's complete. It's full. It's done. It's set. This idea of God speaking in finality can be described in two ways. There's nothing else to look forward to in terms of revelation. There is no kind of secret knowledge out there that we've got to mathematically figure out. All right, that's the first thing when it comes to the idea that he's spoken with finality. The second thing is this. There are no alterations to be made to it. It's set. It's a will that doesn't bend to your will. It doesn't wrap around what you want and mold to it. And so with the idea of it being final, 
these two things really are, are glaring here, and, and it presents us with a problem. And the simple problem is this. If you don't accept the Bible as God's word, what else is there? Who else do you go to? Uh, if you don't accept God's word as complete and total and final, uh, how is it that we live in such a way that we just pick and choose what it is that we want? And in most cases, all of us are following something. All of us are being led by something. All of us have some sort of lowercase g God or worldly knowledge that we're aspiring to. And in most cases, our human tendency, our flesh, it moves us in the direction of wanting that God or that power to adapt and mold to who I am, to what I want. See, it's, it's great in that way, right? Because when my circumstances change, my God can change. When things that are going on in my life aren't exactly the way that I want them to be anymore and I want that to to be altered, I can alter it. But the reality that we're given by God is his word's final. His word is set. Um, And it leads us to the simple idea. And that is God's word is final, meaning the only thing that can change is me. That's not always the most exciting reality, but it's a reality. You know, God's word's set. And no matter how hard I throw my will against it, it never budges, it never bends, it never adapts, it never molds, it never changes. It'll break my bones. It'll crush my spirit. But it will never change. You know, because God's word is final, meaning the only thing that can change is me. This is one of the truths about his word being set, being final, being complete. We're not going to adapt it to who we are. We're going to adapt to what it is. Uh, This is what it means to become more like Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ. Listen, here's the thing that's interesting. In marriage, we tend to find after some time there's this uh, finality about our spouse, right? It may be something that we knew about them, something that we thought, oh, I'll change it, right? I'm going to change them. And then we find that there's this finality about them that is not changeable. It can't be altered. It can't be done. And what happens is, and this happens in relationship, and what God wants, because he's speaking to us, he speaks to us. When you speak to somebody, you want a relationship with them. But in relationship, you get two wills that come together, and when two wills come together, you have tension. You have contradiction. When two wills have contradiction, they rub up against each other. Something has to happen. Something has to give. And sometimes we think, you know, well, uh, you know, my spouse is th- this about their life. It's going to change. And then after some time, we find out this is, this is finality. This is a non-negotiable. This is who they are. This is who they're going to be. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be done. And this is a difficult place. Uh, matter of fact, there, there was an interesting book written many years ago. Maybe you've heard of it. I think it was 1972, The Stepford Wives. Uh, a, a movie was made of it later that year. A remake was made of it in the 2000s, which I hear was absolutely horrible. But the, the concept's interesting from a, you know, just a perspective of, of entertainment. That is, this group of men who are very wise and have a di- bunch of different skills, they create this chip that they're able to put into their wives so that any time their wills contradict, the wives give to the husbands. Any time there's any sort of tension, the wives give in 
and do what the husbands would desire. Here's the question I have for you. Have you microchipped your God? Have you created a God in which you bend and move his will to yours? Because you've maybe lost perspective on the fact that he speaks with finality. He doesn't bend and move to my little speck of existence here for these few years that I've been given in this small little place throughout the universe that is expanse. He speaks to us with finality. So what does this mean? Let me read one more verse verse for you that comes in the second chapter, still really in that same theme of the word through Jesus being superior over the word through the angels previous to him. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3 says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So these chapters that we're looking at, they present us with this fact that Jesus is superior in God's word and God's voice above and beyond the angels who were speaking God's voice before. See, in in Jewish tradition, they saw uh, the angels as bringing God's law and word to God's people. And, and that law is binding in a, in a punitive way. That is, if you break the law, you're punished. And as a result of that, we see that, that Jesus comes and he's superior because he brings with it a grace that solves a great issue within all of our lives. Here's the issue with law, is that so many people pursue to accomplish it to ultimately obtain salvation. It's, it's, you know, I can do this, I can do that, therefore I can appease God. We see this in a really profound and great way in the uh, parable of uh, the prodigal son. The older brother is the one who tries to manipulate the father. I do good things, I'm a good person, therefore you owe me. And the younger son just breaks and bends at the complete will of the father as he recognizes his sinfulness. And yet we still see within our own community, with our own lives, how we try to manipulate at times by being that really good person, controlling the father, obtaining for myself a salvation that can only be obtained for, for me, from, from Jesus, through Jesus. And yet, I find myself in this ridiculous cycle like a dog chasing its tail. I failed at that game so many times, and yet I find myself playing it over and over again sometimes. Getting caught up in good works to obtain salvation, trying to appease God, versus a radically different perspective pursuing Jesus as the one who I admire because of what he's obtained for me and desiring to be as much like him as I possibly can be. There's a radical difference between obedience to try and control the Father and surrendering to what the Father has for me and wants for me. So here's what I want to say here as we start to wrap up. Earlier I mentioned this idea about marriage just a few minutes ago and this idea about, you know, 
finding some sort of finality or some sort of non-negotiable in our spouse. And, and maybe as you're hearing that, you're thinking about, but there has to be give and take. You know, there, there has to be, you know, compromise. Uh, there has to be, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and so on and so forth. And, and this was applied as a, you know, kind of a big metaphor and illustration to our relationship with God. And I guarantee you, sometimes we think this way. Shouldn't there be that same kind of give and take with God? Shouldn't there be, this This is why I struggle, right, with a relationship with God, because it's his way or the highway. He's commanding. He's controlling. It's, a, you, know, you know, it's basically uh, something that just kind of oppresses me, and, and I don't really like that. I really wrestle with that. I really struggle with that. Shouldn't he give to me in some regard? What if I tell you that he did bend to your will? Every single one of us in this room have a non-negotiable. Every single one of us in this room uh, have a finality about us that we don't budge on, that we don't give on. Every single one of us in this room are sinful. Every single one of us in this room are sinners. That's our finality. That's our non-negotiable. From the oldest to the youngest in this room, every single one of us have found ourselves returning back to the very thing that we despise. Crawling back to God and asking for forgiveness. Because there's a finality about us that we just can't fix. And God bent to that finality. God moved himself to that will. God adapted to where we are and who we are. He became human. He became flesh so that we could relate to him, so that he could speak to us through his son, so that he could speak in words that are final, and so that we could understand that he is bent to where I am to help rescue me from what I struggle with. God adjusted his position to our uncompromising will in order to save and free us from it. In order to help us become a person who surrenders to his will daily. As we we reflect on that, that that last part, I'll be honest with you, that's a a mindful. It's It's a really deep, difficult thought that we need time to reflect on. I pray that your engagement isn't just for an hour on Sunday morning, but I pray that maybe you'll take this thought, you'll take this passage, uh, you'll take these two chapters, you'll pour over them. Um, Think about this. Think about how God has moved himself to your position to adapt to where you're at, to bend himself to your will, to a place to absorb sin that he was never intended to absorb, to rescue you from your place and position of uncompromising desire for sin. And think about it. The punishment of humanity had to be enough, but even still it was worse what he suffered on the cross when he cried out 
and gave up his spirit, giving up his spirit because in that moment he was separated from God. He died not from physical issues, but from a spiritual separation from the Father, which is hell. And he experienced that hell and took on the sin of the world because uh, we needed it. And in that moment, separated from God because nothing sinful became connected with the holiness of God, enduring that so that we could be rescued and saved, freed from our constant desire for our own will, pushing us our own ways so that we could learn how to surrender to will that is far more perfect for us in every way. So we pull up our bootstraps. We learn how to do that more today, tomorrow, and the next day than we ever have before. And we go out and we share Christ with our world. That's who Canoe Creek Christian Church is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Powerful opening words to this letter written to your church for all time, uh, specifically to the Hebrews. And for us today, we see great application. Help us to see Jesus. Not just hear these statements made about him, but to see him. Uh, clothed in these statements to know that your word is coming to us through him in a very relatable way and that your word is coming to us um, with finality so that as we cast our will against it, it's our will that is crushed, not yours. But Father, knowing that in your love, um, you took what was our finality, you took what was our uncompromising will for sin And you adjusted yourself to it, you bore it, so that we could be saved from it. Help us to understand that. And help us to live in such a way that we reflect. We have a desire to surrender to it.